Narrative. Vision. Film. Cinematography. Storytelling. Music. Digital media. Scarlet Media. You're listening to 50mm, a Scarlet Media lens. Join us as we discuss our perspectives on digital media, filmmaking, and storytelling that inspires us. Film is a beloved form of entertainment for just about everyone, and while its purpose is to entertain, all films have some sort of meaning behind every aspect, from their dialogue to costumes and even camera angles. Directors use these subtle hints to insert deeper messages into their work that you can find if you look closely. This week, we take a deep dive into the Oscar-nominated film One Night in Miami to analyze these hidden meanings in detail. We discuss how director Regina King uses camera angles to portray how the characters are feeling, how the costume designer uses seemingly simple costumes to reveal a character's development, and more. Finally, don't miss our Oscar-nominated film recommendations before awards night this week. Okay, everyone, thank you for coming with us on another episode of Scarlet Media Lens, a 50mm podcast. Today, we are talking about the movie One Night in Miami. I am joined by Finley King. Hey! And Marissa, I've never had to pronounce your last name, Marissa Aloyai. Yeah, you got it. Hi. Oh my god, awesome. Props to me. But <laughs> yeah, so today we're doing a little bit things different than what we usually do. We're talking about the movie One Night in Miami, a movie that came out December 25th, 2020. It is a movie about, on the night of February 25th, 1964, as the title implies, it is about Cassius Clay, who is also famously known as Muhammad Ali, joined by... Jim Brown, Sam Cooke, Malcolm X, very prominent figures in black history. And basically their discussion of the responsibility of being successful black men during the civil rights movement. And then after discussing the movie, we're also talk about some quick Oscar nom recommendations since Oscar season is currently hot. <laughs> so first things first, how did everyone enjoy the movie? I really enjoyed it. I thought it was interesting for me trying to figure out what bits of it like originated from the play because it was it's the screenplay is based on a play and which bits of it were created for the film um which I will be talking about when it comes to be my time (laughs) (laughs) but overall I really enjoyed it and I think it was a really um strong debut from Regina King who directed the film absolutely yeah I agree I think it was really good Spoiler warning for anyone that's listening, <laughs> but let's get that out of the way real quick. But something that I really enjoyed about the movie that I think we could even use at Scarlet Media a bit more, that we've tried to use for just like our simple stuff is the movie's camera was constantly moving, like all the time. Mm-hmm. The movie's extremely dialogue heavy, so you might think to yourself, why is the camera need to be constantly moving? Well, it kind of helped everything feel like it was flowing action-wise, like even when they were having their heated discussions with the camera moving back and forth in between that small room, it made it feel very, like, lively. Like, it got into the heat of the moment as it was happening. Um, funnily enough, the movie includes some boxing scenes of, you know, Cassius Clay doing his thing to become the heavyweight champion, and that was shot pretty well, following the fight scenes and the action, um, cutting between the fight and the crowd itself made you really engaged early on in the movie. So I think it was actually pretty strong in the movie did you guys have any particularly favorite shots i have one shot in the pretty much beginning of the movie when jim brown goes and sees like his old teacher um and they're talking on the porch and there's you know they're going between 
typical shot of just one person over one shoulder and then going back and forth and then they cut to the shot from like behind the window mm-hmm. um and I love that I just thought it really created like some interest in it and it made it um almost kind of like like the the granddaughter was like looking in and was like oh my god like it's Jim Brown from NFL like I thought it was really cool um so that like Maybe happy. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I really like that scene a lot too. That was a shocking like? scene. Oh yeah, it definitely brought you into the movie and like brought you back to reality real quick. But um, yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah. For me, what I noticed about the cinematography was all of the shots shot from above. Um, mm. there are multiple shots throughout the film, like in the boxing ring, where after Cassius Clay um wins. You see the entire crowd storming onto the, what's it called? The ring, the ring. Thank you. (laughs) Someone who doesn't like sports here trying to figure out how to talk about sports (laughs) is very difficult. When the crowd storms onto the ring, the Regina King places the camera above the court and we see this top-down view and she does this a couple times. She does the same thing with a car where we see Malcolm X, Cassius Clay, and Jim Brown get out of the car. And I was trying to figure out like what the effects of that sh- of these type of shots were cuz they happened multiple times but I couldn't quite place like like oh w- what was the reasoning behind placing the camera there? What what did you guys think about? Um I think it was I think part of it kind of went to the larger theme of the movie. Like, Malcolm X and Cassius Clay were both actually pretty religious people throughout the movie. And that was pretty apparent through the movie. You know, even before he went to go fight, Cassius Clay prayed with Malcolm X before he went into the fight. He was, And I think that's what those top-down views almost were in that same. Like, oh, there's always someone watching over these people. You know, and that's something that they always, like, made a point of at the very beginning of the movie. So, to me, that was kind of, like, what the... That's what I translate the effect being to. Like, oh... This is, like, their religion being, like, yeah, I'm being watched out for by, like, a higher power. Or they're just watching down on me, succeeding and doing my thing. Yeah, I agree. And I think um, it's also interesting because uh, she uses those shots less and less towards the end of the movie when Malcolm is, like, I feel like I'm being watched. Um, So I think that's kind of an interesting way of putting it where, um, you know, the higher power looking is kind of going away. And now he's, like, being watched by these, quote-unquote, evil people that ended up... um, you know, being the reason for his demise. So, yeah. um, I think that's kind of interesting too. That's really interesting. I never thought about it that way. You guys are smart. I think that's one thing I really love about film is that everything always has a meaning and a purpose. Um, even if you don't like see it the first time you watch it, it's, it's there. Um, <laughs> it's there. Yeah. Like with lighting or with like, um, shoes or costumes, like literally anything it's there. Um, something that I want to talk about um so I did do I did theater in high school and I was on the costumes like committee Mm -hmm. um and we focused a lot on what the costume says about the characters feelings and their development um and what it also says about their relationships to other people um which like sounds crazy because it's literally a piece of fabric um but I found it really interesting with Sam Cooke's costumes because so the first scene that we see him, he's performing at the Copacabana and, you know, it's full of white people um, in mm-hmm. these pastel colors and he's in a pastel suit, um, well, like silver. It's like a kind of pastel color palette and everyone else around him backstage is in darker suits um, and I think it makes him stand out because, um, you know, he has this, Malcolm calls him out as like, 
you know, um, supporting white people or something like, like calling him out as like not being black enough, quote unquote. Um, and I think that they show that throughout the beginning of the movie. And then when they're all together, their color palettes work together, but Sam Cooke is the only one in a, um, colored suit, um, Mm -hmm. kind of to be flashy. Um, and then they call him out as like not, um, acknowledging black struggle. Um, and I think that really shows through his first couple costumes where he's like kind of looking more elegant and extravagant and something that like a white person would wear in the sixties. And then in his last scene, he's in a very, you know, muted conservative black suit, um, similar to what Malcolm would have worn. And I think that shows how their conversation on civil rights and on the movement, um, and on race really like impacted him, especially with his song that he sings too. Um, yeah. So that really spoke to me. Um, and the whole time I was like, Oh my God, like they did that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even notice that last part. That's a good point that you pointed that out. Cause I definitely noticed that he had a different attire on during like the actual conversation between all of them during the night, which really stood out to me. Cause like they just had scenes where they made sure it stood out, but I didn't even like pay attention to that last scene where he did switch attire. That's a really, that's a really good point actually. Good eye. Thanks. <laughs> but this is a little side note, but I love Leslie Odom Jr. I think he's so great. Um, <laughs> so I'm just like happy about that. <laughs> he does an amazing job here. And mm-hmm. kind of to the point of uh, what you were saying just now, Finley, about how they were portraying his character and his transformation. I, I like the way they did the transformation because it didn't make it just feel like, oh, the Malcolm X was just completely right. We're going with that. Because a big merit to me of this movie is that it does bring up like a lot of conflicting and not really wrong opinions. Like, <laughs> like I know you the, could be the one talking about uh, dialogue Finley, but just one of my favorite lines in the movie was between Malcolm X and Jim Brown when they were talking about like maybe like Malcolm X was like, oh, you're you should be one of our warriors. You're an NFL giant. All this, that, or that. And Jim Brown just goes, you don't have a job. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's one, it, it is genuinely one of like the funniest moments of the entire movie, yeah. and it's like so true. It doesn't allow it doesn't really allow any of them to be faultless by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. It like brings them back to like they're still very much people who are just handling this big responsibility that they all carry due to their separate professions. They all handle it differently and think of it very differently. And they don't paint any specific way as wrong. They just acknowledge that like there's faults in each way of thinking that should be addressed and come to a compromise to like get to the big overarching goal. Right. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. So let me talk about the screenplay for a second and let me ask you guys... Um, was it well let me ask first did you know that going into the movie that the screenplay was based on a play yes no i do not think so actually i only knew because i looked at the oscar noms before i watched it okay okay, great (laughs) so um i will ask marissa then and then i'll ask wallace a different question marissa could you tell the parts that for you were like oh, I feel like this was part of the play, or like, oh, was this made for the movie? Was this in the play? Let me ask you that. Honestly, not really. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I will say from my experience of, like, theater to film, I have kind of noticed that theater is usually more, um, not so much, like, thought out, but it's usually, there's usually more to it, I guess, because um, 
it's on one stage instead of being able to really go wherever you want and uh, um you know a lot of shows add things in from a movie instead of like taking them out mm-hmm. um but there are definitely scenes that like you watch and you're like okay well this could never happen um on a stage like um the opening scene with well not opening scene but the one with uh Cassius Clay in the pool like that could never happen on stage <laughs> right um so there are definitely certain moments where you're like okay like this was um not in the original screenplay but yeah mm-hmm. and does that ever did that ever bother you like when you were watching was your mind ever going this is starting to feel like a play this is starting to feel very dialogue heavy did that ever happen for you um there were only a few moments when they were in the room where like that I think that was the main thing was like when they were just in the suite for a lot of the movie it was like okay well this could be in a play just one stationary set Mm -hmm. um but I also think that it takes um a good screenwriter to be able to make that um interesting and mean something and um work well and I think it did work well so it didn't really bother me I just it was interesting to notice definitely yeah I agree Wallace, for you, when you were watching, did you ever think, why are they talking so much? Or did it feel natural to you? I definitely noticed that was a dialogue-heavy movie, mm-hmm. but it didn't bother me in the slightest, which was which was good. Because it's like Marissa just said, like once they were in the room, you pretty much realized that they were in the room for a while, and that's where a lot of the movie took place. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it didn't bother me, actually. And I don't know if this is because I saw another dialogue-heavy movie a while ago when I watched Malcolm and Mary. Right. Or it's just like the content was very strong in this movie that helped it. Because if it, if it was like a bad dialogue or just like something I really didn't need to hear, like very lectury or preachy, I probably would have been turned off by it. Mm-hmm. But I think it was because that, like I said, they were really arguing with each other, supporting each other, bringing up stories. And like there were very strong performances in all the characters' parts that um i never got bored with it i actually felt like pretty okay with what was happening there's this thing when people adapt plays to film where people say they want to open up the play which basically means they they want the film to not feel like a filmed play so people will do that by adding exterior scenes and making the characters go outdoors there's this one scene in who's afraid of virginia wolf in the film where they all go to a diner, um, and that is not in the original play. In the original play, they all stay in in a home the entire time. So for me, it was obvious when the screenplay was being opened up. And, you know, I think the all the opening scenes where you see them all individually in their own habitats, I don't know how that would have been able to be done on a in a play. Yeah, definitely. I definitely felt that with the um, like you said, the opening scene where they're all in their individual habitats when Jim visited his like NFL mentor or teacher or just like associate associate might be the better word for that. Um Cassius in a fight before his big fight that we all saw. Mm-hmm. And then Malcolm kind of just well actually when was Malcolm introduced? He was already in his hotel room, right? Or was he home? He came home. Malcolm came after- home from a speech. Yes, he came home from a speech, you're right. Yes, he came from a speech, and then Sam went and performed at the Copacabana. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so that definitely wouldn't have been possible with a play, at least not so easily. Um, so that definitely like felt like opening it up. Yeah. yeah. Although it is also, to the... Oh, go on, Marissa. Um, I was going to say, also maybe like the roof scene, where they go up to the roof. 
Um, even though that could technically be achieved, I guess, if they, like, um, had a secondary set, but, you know, maybe yeah. not. Um, <laughs> yeah. But that one definitely was, um, one that was like, okay, well, they're opening up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although I do think it is, and this is why the film screenplay is nominated for an Oscar, is I think all these scenes feel really natural and built into, like, the story. So they never feel like they're not organic. But yeah, speaking of best adapted screenplay in general, like Finley and Marissa both mentioned, this movie has been nominated for an Oscar for best adapted screenplay. Um and the play is originally called One Night in Miami, and this movie was directed by Regina King, this is actually one of the few Oscar nominated movies I have seen, honestly <laughs> speaking. It's been a very weird weird, a weird year with movies, because usually I'd see a lot of these Oscar nominated movies in theaters. That's kind of how I saw several of them last year, but with them being on streaming services and them kind of being all over the place or just people having technology fatigue, it's been a very odd year mm-hmm. with this. Um, the only ones I've really seen are One Night in Miami and Soul, both of which I loved. So those are definitely ones that I'd recommend seeing. I'm outside of that. I've had quite a few people try and have me watch Nomadland, which I definitely want to watch, and Minari, which I was definitely interested in watching as well. What about yeah. you guys? I'm in the same boat as you, Wallace. I have only watched three nominated films, um, One Night Miami, Soul, and Onward. Um, all of which were great. Um and Onward and Solo nominated for the same category for animated feature film. Um, and if I want to insert my own opinion here, I think Soul should win over Onward. Um, I just think Soul was so good. So anyone's watching, anyone listening, watching, you're not watching, you're listening. Um, <laughs> anyone listening, if you need a recommendation, um, watch Soul. It was so good. Um, but yeah, I really want to watch Promising Young, Young Woman. I've been wanting to watch it since the trailers came out and then I never watched it. Um, it's great. I just, think, I just think it's hard with all these streaming services because like I don't have all of them, and then I'm like, oh well, that's on that one. Oh well, you know. Mm-hmm. What about you, Finley? You see, you just watched Prom- Promising a Woman, right? I did see Promising a Woman, which I thought was very enjoyable. But I'm going to put out my official recommendation as Nomadland. Reason being, it was produced by Rutgers faculty member Molly Asher. Yes, it was. So we, so you got to show off that Rutgers pride, baby. <laughs> rah rah, rah rah, Rutgers rah. But Nomadland is great, and I think it's a really beautiful exploration of like a woman who decides to live an alternative lifestyle. And I think it brings up a lot of interesting conversations about class, and I and I think about privilege as well. I think it's I think it's a really great movie that is not coming out of the gates saying like this is an important movie this is the message these are the politics it's it's very poetic in terms of how everything is portrayed but it definitely starts a great conversation so i would recommend that to anyone if you're trying to prioritize which oscar nominated films you should see yeah i definitely want to watch nomadland for a while myself so what is that? What is that on? By the way, is that what streaming service is that on? Or did that that like, is streaming on Hulu. Yeah, and I don't really think there's too many other like there's other nominations here that I wish I could speak more on because I've definitely seen them in the movies. Like I've definitely heard about the trial of the Chicago Seven quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I know it got a lot of attention when it came out. Same goes to well, weirdly enough, Sound of Metal. I have not heard too much about, but anytime I have heard about, it, they're like. 
Yes. I hear more about the acting performance when that when it comes to that one than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, which is weird because I don't. I'm looking at it and it's not really nominated for a lot of acting things. It's a, it's a, it's nominated for best actor in a supporting role for um, Paul Rossi. I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. But outside of that, there's not actually they're not actually nominated for a whole lot besides best picture. I think Riz Ahmed is nominated for Best Actor. Is he? Yeah. Best Actor in Leaner. Oh, yes, 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 you are. I missed that completely because it's at the top. There we go. Riz Ahmed. <laughs> yep. That was the Oscar nominations. I hope that you guys have either seen more Oscar noms than us, or if you haven't, just watch the ones that we've just suggested because we definitely all have our own opinions and have loved the ones that we recommended. Thanks for listening to our 195 Miami analysis. Please check out the movie if you haven't. It is really good. And otherwise, we'll see you guys next episode. Thanks for listening and bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on 50mm, a Scarlet Media lens. Scarlet Media is a student media team operating from Rutgers Division of Continuing Studies Media Services. To learn more about Scarlet Media, check out the Media Services website at tvstudio.rutgers.edu. We hope you'll join us next time.